0: gift, and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me? Father, um, this is your word, and would you help us? to treat it with the weight that it, um, that it merits. Fathers, we talk about the reality of sin, and as we talk about the good news of the gospel, would you, I pray, open up our eyes to see, open up our hearts to know, and to take hold of the beauty of the gospel. And Father, remind us that the gospel is not merely the good news of you forgiving us of our sins so that we can have eternity with you. But the gospel is the good news that you have life for us today, right now, that you are for us and not against us, that you use all things for good, that you have given us the righteousness of God. Place that upon us. You call us your children. We have all of these promises through the gospel, would you allow us to see and savor the beauty and the treasure that the gospel is and the power it has over sin? Um, Holy Spirit, I ask for your help. Would you speak to hearts this morning? Pray all these things and everyone said, may grab a seat. I want to start with a couple of few very short stories. I think that point us to this text. Um, On on Friday, two days ago, uh, I had the opportunity to do a funeral. I've not done very many funerals. Um, In fact, this is my third one that I've been a part of. And it was a very unique funeral, one that I've not been a part of before. And the reason why it was unique is because the man who had passed away, though he had made a confession of faith in Christ when he was young, um, like, like. Like a kid, high school age, um, much of his life was one um, filled with a growing bitterness and a growing resentment towards others, towards those he loved and, and even a sense of growing resentment towards God. And, and to the point where I sat down, he was a family friend. Um, he was um, one of my uncle's best friends. In fact, he lived with my uncle, this man. Um, I lived with my uncle at the same time. So th- th- me and this gentleman, we cross past a number of times. But I sat down and I interviewed my uncle because I got to do the eulogy. And I said, tell me, tell me more about him. And, and he just said, I love this man so much. He's one of my dearest friends. But he is maybe the most bitter and, and, and frustrated man that I've ever met. To the point where. He had completely. Disassociated himself. With his family. And so on his deathbed. He had a heart attack on his deathbed. It was his family who longed to have a relationship with him. Who came and, and saw him. And he was unconscious. And, and who knows how he may have reacted. With them there. And. and I asked my uncle. I just said. You know, how, how, how did this happen? Him and I actually talked about that. What, why, why was he like this? Why, why did he allow such bitterness to grow and grow and grow to the point where he wanted nothing to do with his family, even though his family loved him dearly? How did that happen? Or I think of another story. Um, where I, I sat with a woman, this is a few years ago, um, sat with a woman who is in the final stages of going through a divorce with her husband. Um, and she was telling me the story, telling me how it just kind of started with this friend. There's this guy, and they liked going hiking together. And so they went on hikes together, and, 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 and their relationship kind of grew and, grew and grew and grew to the point where divorce became an, a conversation in her marriage. And, and now she was getting divorced and her kids, who were teenagers, wanted absolutely nothing to do with her. And she sat there uh, with me just going, how did this happen? How did it get to this point where I'm, I'm now getting a divorce with my husband and my children don't even want to speak with me? And one of them is getting ready to go off to college. Or I think, now this has happened a number of times, and I, and I share it because I think... The reality is, some of you men might be struggling with this too. This has happened a number of times where I, I sit with a wife who's just weeping, just weeping, and I, um, and her husband is right there, and the husband is just—he's just got a look of just shame. And, and what has happened is a pornography addiction has, has come out and now the intimacy in their marriage, it, it's just, it looks like a pile of wreckage and, and there's this sense of like, how, how did this even happen? How, how do we even get here? So you got all of these stories here and I could just tell another story after another story after another story where you have these situations that end in a kind of an explosion, an explosion that, you know, it's divorce, it's separation and your kids want nothing to do with you. It's this explosion where uh, there's a pornography addiction and and the intimacy in the marriage is just all kinds of disaster. There's this explosion where you're so bitter, so resentful. You like you want nothing to do with the people you love most. How did this happen? Here's how it happened Temptation. Like, what? It started with a hike with another man, it started with just like glancing at that pornography it started with that little seed of going they don't deserve my forgiveness so I'm just not going to forgive them it starts with that temptation it starts with that sin and the next thing you know it kills a marriage the next thing you know it kills a family the next thing you know is it kills intimacy and marriage and James this is what's going on in this passage James is pointing out to us that sin is actually pretty serious very serious that sin has the power to kill you. That's what it says. It has the ability to kill your marriage. It has the ability to kill, destroy, wreak havoc the intimacy in your marriage. It has the ability to kill relationships with family. It has the ability. This was not my words. This is the words of my uncle. It's just like, you know what? I, I, I think that his death was very equated to the bitterness and the resentment that he refused to let down. Sin can kill you. But how do we treat sin? Oops. My bad. I'll try not to do that again. I'm sorry. Like my my son, I was just getting a picture of one of my sons who, who it just, whap! Sorry. (laughs) And I'll go up to him and say, what... What did, why did you do that? And he'll this is word for word. I said, I'm sorry. Well, I don't. And that's, that's, that's what sin is to him. Now, of course, we grow out of that, right? That, that's only four-year-olds act that way, right? Like you hit 30 years old and that never happens, right? You, you never cut someone off. Oh, sorry. sorry. <laughs> it's, it's humorous, but it's real, is it not? Think, think about the way that you apologize to your spouse or apologize to others. And, and, and sometimes our apologies are very real, but sometimes that's, that's just kind of all they are. And, and, and we can treat sin just flippantly. And James says um, it can actually kill you. It can actually destroy your life it can actually, listen to this, it can actually send you to hell. And if you're like, well, that, that's strong. Okay, yes, good, that's the point. And so James, in this passage that we look at, he's trying to help you and I to feel the weight of our sin. And if you're like, "Well, this is a really downer Sunday, only the first half is, okay? Just warning <laughs> And, and I think that it's not a bad thing to feel the weight of our shame and feel the weight of our guilt. Like our culture has told us, no, don't be like shame, guilt, just get rid of all of that. And we should get rid of the shame and we should get rid of the guilt. But we should only get rid of it by means of Christ. Christ. And, and, like, when you read the letter that the Apostle Paul, to the, to the, that he writes to the Corinthians, he's like, you know what? Um, I say this to your shame. Like, he's, he's kind of shaming them. And his point is this. I want you to feel the weight of your sin. Because you know what happens when you feel the weight of your sin? You feel the weight of the beauty of the gospel. You feel the weight of the wonder of the gospel. When you and I are able to feel the depths of our sin, we can experience the heights of the gospel. And so James, in this passage... I think he does three things here. He, he, he's teaching us the origin of sin. He's teaching us the anatomy of sin. And then this last part, all I could just call it is this. Is he, he tells us and teaches us the key to killing your sin. To kill it. And so here we go. James 1, 13 through 14, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God for God cannot be tempted with evil and he himself tempts no one. Now, um, if you've been with us the past two weeks, you've you've found that what James up until this point has been talking about is Trials. That you and I are going to face trials, that you and I are going to face difficulties in our life, that those are going to come for us. James is now speaking about sin and temptation, but we can't miss this. There is an intrinsic connection James is trying to get us to, to see here. And the connection is this, that every trial you face, what comes along with it is a temptation. Every trial you face is the temptation, namely the temptation to trust God or not trust God. And really, if you read James 1, 9 through 12, um, it starts out like this. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. Here's what James is saying back in verse 9. He's, He's pointing out... That there's a poor man, the lowly brother. And when you are poor, that is a trial. It is a trial to be poor. But he also talks about the rich man. Did you know it's also a trial to be rich? It's a trial and it's a temptation. It's a trial to be poor, but it's also a temptation. And, and, and James is speaking to that. And here's, here's, here's the interesting thing. They're both the same temptation. To be poor and to be rich, it's the same exact trial and temptation. And the trial and temptation is this Are you going to find your contentment and your identity in Christ? Or are you going to find it in your desire for money or your desire for more money? And so James is saying, Don't, don't miss this. You who are poor, boast, find your identity. Make much of Christ. And those of you who are rich, that's a trial, but it's a temptation. And here's what I want you to do. Don't think that money is going to lead you to happiness, but rather find your identity in the humility of knowing who you are in Christ. And here's what James is saying in 1.13. he's, He's reminding us that every trial that you face, along comes it a temptation. Your life is filled with temptation, is it not? Just give me an amen if you were tempted this morning. Amen? (laughs) Multiple times. Probably past five minutes, really. It's just all over the place. And, And so James, he begins to point out what the origin of sin is. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. James' first point is this. We need to make sure that we understand that the origin of sin is not God. God did not make you do it. So where is, what is the origin of, of sin? Well, let's keep reading. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Here's what this is saying. God is not the origin of your sin. Check this out. Satan is actually not the origin of your sin. You know who the origin of your sin is? Just everyone take their finger, point it at the person next to you, and now turn it in. Okay? I know, I know you wanted to stick that. Yeah? Yeah? You are the origin of your sin. Here's what this means. You are responsible for your sin. That, that, that's on you. You are responsible. Now, here's what's tricky: is I think we can yes and amen this, and then someone you sin against someone, and, and instead of doing this, you do well. You're like my son. This is what happens. I've got my older kids and I've got my younger kids. One of my older kids. Um, no, no, here's what will happen. One of my younger kids will come down screaming and crying. And my old, one of my older kids kind of comes out and I say, you know, let's just pick on Zoe this morning. Because I usually go after Zephaniah. Zoe, what happened? Zion hit me. Zoe, help me understand, if, if, if Zion hit you, why is he the one crying and you're not? Logic doesn't add up. She goes, oh, well, um, uh, like I, I actually hit him first. And, and so it just kind of, it, it, it comes out. But her reaction, what happened, her her first instinct is not, I did this. Her first instinct is, he did that. And, uh, I mean, this this is like marriage counseling 101. This is what you tell the pastor who's going to do it. Just want to let you know, it's never just one person's fault. And so, whenever you go into marriage counseling, and I've done just... Thank the Lord, just a little handful of it. I like to pass that on to some people who are maybe a little bit more um, gifted in that calling. But I'll sit down and it's and it's they did this to me. And I'll look at them, and they say, well, well, she did this to me. And it's just. Do you do that? You know what James is doing? James is just straight up taking the playbook of Genesis three right here. Do you, do you remember this one? Do you remember uh, Genesis three twelve, when 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 God comes and God, by the way, first comes to Adam, husbands, that got real, huh? Yeah, they both sin. God shows up. Adam, I want to deal with you first. Husbands, I want to deal with you first. What Adam? What happened? What does Adam say? The man said, "The woman whom you gave me, gave to me, gave to be with me. She gave me fruit of the tree, and I I ate." But you know. What does he say? Who does Adam say did it? Who, who's to blame? I, you know, this is crazy. I just noticed this this morning. It's Eve, but notice where, notice where Adam starts. The woman womb you. You know what, God? I got a bone to pick. <laughs> Doesn't he do that? I always used to. He blames Eve, and he does, but not after he blames God first. It's on you. Your sin is on you. And if you don't take responsibility for that, <coughs> sin will kill you. It will, it will kill everything around you. Take responsibility, friends. And, and here's what we're going to find, is, is that when we take responsibility, there is, there is not condemnation, but rather there is freedom, but we got to hold off. We gotta, just got to play. Let, let the origin, the anatomy play out about sin before we get to the killing of it. But, but point one here, the origin of sin is you take responsibility. When you sin against your spouse, whether they did something or not, man, husbands, can I just get real? Man up and take responsibility. You know what? She might be probably is wrong. So are you. And it, because here's what happens. You sit in counseling. I'm just trying to make sure I don't have as many counseling meetings in the future. So we're just, this is, we're front-loading this, okay? Because here's what happens. You sit in the room and, it, room and it's, he said, she said, and I'll look at them and say, well, will you take responsibility? And then they look at each other and they're like, I will if they will. God. Husbands, that's not on you. Or excuse me, husbands, that is on you. Husbands. Will you step up to be the man God has called you to be? And if she keeps sinning against you, you know what you keep doing? You keep loving her the way Christ loves you. You keep laying your life down over and over and over and over again. And if you're like, this ain't fair. Be reminded of the good news of the gospel. That this is exact. you're only doing, you're only giving a picture and a taste of the good news of the gospel that you've received from Christ. We need to take responsibility. Amen? Amen. (sighs) Okay. But each person is tempted... When he is lured and enticed by his own desire. So notice these words here. Again, James is, is just using Genesis 3 as a playbook here for sin. He says, here's the anatomy of sin. We need to understand that it begins with this temptation. And, and the picture he, he gives us is, um, so I went fishing yesterday. That's the picture. Um, we didn't catch anything at all, but that's cool. Um, I don't know how to fish really anyways. But I, we're fishing and we, you put the worm on there. What's the worm doing? It's, it's luring. It's enticing. And then that fish bites it. And here's what the fish realizes. I don't know if the fish thinks this or not. But if I was a fish, I would think this. I've been deceived. That looked good. That looked right. That looked like it would satisfy. And then you bite into it and you're like, lies, lies. You've been deceived. And if you go to Genesis 3, I mean, that, that, that's the playbook, friend. Here's the great thing about the devil. Like, seriously, he, it's the same playbook. It's, it's the same exact one. I'm going to deceive them. I'm going to trick them. And and, and what does is, what is the devil say? What does Satan say? Did God really say? And, and he's deceiving. And... Here's deception. Deception is trying to get you to believe something untrue about who God is. And that, that's, that's the heart of deception. I'm going to try and get them to believe something that is not true about God. Every sin starts with deception. A lie. A lie That looks good. But as my cousin so rightfully says, he says this he says, here's the thing about deception it's deceiving. (laughs) Like, I don't preach. It's deceiving. So, So it starts with deception, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed, when he is deceived by what? His own desire. His own desire. If I were to ask you, what is the definition of sin? Think about, think about that in your head. How would you respond to that in your head? Sin is... And I think most of our responses... We talked about this in, in one of our guys' community groups a number of months ago. And we talked about this question. Well, what is sin? And, and the predominant answer is, well, isn't, sin is disobeying God. Sin is disobeying God. And, and here's the reality... That's kind of true. But that is actually only part of the truth. Disobeying God, that's the fruit of your sin. If sin is a tree, disobeying God, that's the fruit. James is saying, you need here's what's tricky about sin. Here's what's deceiving about sin. Is it's not merely disobeying God, but it's it has to do with your desire. Again, look at Genesis um, 3 here. Genesis 3, 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes. Like, hmm, that delight. That looks good. And that the tree was to be, what's that word? Desired. It's stuck. The root of sin is desire. And James says, this is what we need to get about sin is that it that sin, the root of it is desire. Now, this this Greek word um, is epithumia. Okay, you know, we like to do this. Let's say it together. Epithumia. Epithumia. um, So there's really two root words going on here. You have epi, which means like over. And then thumia means desire. So here's what will happen. Um, If you read the NIV, that translation of the Bible, it doesn't say um, desire. It says evil desire. It's because this word epithumia, it's it's a very tricky word. It doesn't merely mean desire. Um, It can often be translated lust but the idea here is you connect these two words and what does it mean? Over desire. That is the root of your sin is over desire. Here's what this means. Is sin is not merely you disobeying God. Sin is when you desire anything more than God. You tracking? Sin is when you desire money more than God. You desire pornography more than God. You desire your pride more than God. You desire to be right more than God. You, desi- you desire, you desire, just name whatever it is. You desire to be well-liked more than God. Check this out. You desire your kids more than God. That's sin. You desire your spouse more than God. That's sin. That sin James says, here's the thing about sin is it's not merely just disobeying God or not trusting God. It begins with an epi desire. It begins with an over desire. It begins with an object taking hold of your heart. And it will kill you. And he says, then desire, that that, that over desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth what? Death. Death. It'll kill you. Sin will kill you. And again, here's the deceiving thing about sin. I feel like it never kills you overnight, does it? It kills you bit by bit by bit by bit. One over desire after another. It will destroy your life and don't miss this it will send you to hell am i am i misreading this i mean guys I, maybe this is just hitting me really really hard cuz i just did a funeral on friday where death just got real With a man that I really, really hope that confession of faith that he made in high school was a a real, real, real one. Because he didn't really live a life like it really was one. And it was hard for me to get up there going, I'm believing that he, he is with Christ. He is in paradise. I'm believing that. But my goodness, his life sure didn't look like it. I don't know what tomorrow brings for you. Or you got friends, you got family. This is this is real. James is going this is, it will kill you. It will kill you. But James, oh I love this next part. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. <laughs> Every commentary I read said this verse right here is is it's like James if he's up here preaching a sermon it's like James going through this and going don't be deceived okay now you got to listen carefully cuz here comes the good stuff all right i got you right where you where i want you feeling the weight of your sin this is James going okay now you got to listen beloved you have to listen to that you can't miss this and what does he say every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. He, 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 he's, he's saying, okay, listen, 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 listen. Sin will kill you, but it don't have to. Sin will destroy you, but that doesn't need to be your story. Because we have a heavenly Father... Who gives good gifts? Every good, every perfect gift. Now, again, this this phrase right here, "every good gift," uh, in, in the Greek, it's a little tricky, and here's how it um, reads right here. It literally reads, "every good giving." That's how it reads. It doesn't read every good gift. In in the Greek, it literally means every good giving. And, And the idea is this. The idea that James is trying to get across is this. Is that the action of the giving is good. What this is saying here is that when God gives gifts, they're good. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? God gives, and in his giving, it's good. And now here's where this is weighty. Here's where this, I think, will make more sense. What does it mean, every good giving? Okay, have you ever gotten a present before? I was trying to think of, this has happened to me. I just can't think of a specific example. But you ever get a present, and you open it up, and you're like, oh, 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 didn't, that wasn't on my list. Not really something I wanted or desired. And then like a month later, you're like, this thing is amazing. Yes. I don't I can't think of anything, but that has happened to me before. Or have you ever had a situation in your life where God seems to really take you on a sharp left turn, right turn? Something happens to you and you're like, really, God? Like, I thought you were a giver of good gifts. I'm having a real hard time seeing it this way, and a month later you're like, oh Lord, thank you, Jesus, for that. That was thank you. Has that ever happened to you? Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Okay, you're listening. I'm really glad. Sometimes I wonder. Do you know that you have a God whose every giving to you is good? That He He is a father that gives good. Gifts. I can remember a few years ago, talking on the phone with my father. It's very fitting. I'm talking on the phone with my father, and it was about a year and a half into church planting, uh, the mission church. In the first year, things just things it it didn't go well, friends. Just didn't didn't go well. that was my own evil desire, probably had a lot to do with it, but there was just so many things that went wrong. And then and to the point where I just felt like God was maybe saying, OK, maybe just, you know, throw in the towel and go be a youth pastor again, whatever it was. And, and, I, and I felt that way. And then all of a sudden, God just brought these gifts He brought this person who played a very instrumental role in my life and in our church. He was a partner in ministry and then we we moved from one location to another location and what unfolded for the next several weeks and next few months is God was just bringing blessing and bringing fruit to our church after a season of where it felt like I was trying to push a thousand pound stone uphill and it just wasn't working. I remember telling my dad, I'm like, it's amazing what God is doing. It's awesome. It's incredible. And I said, "But I'm just kind of waiting for the other shoe to drop. I'm just kind of waiting for God to just kind of like switch things back to how bad they were before. I'm just like shocked how like what God is doing." And my father, a very godly man, said, "Zach, why would you believe that? Is, is that like why?" Isn't this the God we worship? Don't we worship a God that loves us and desires to give good gifts? And oh, by the way, Zach, like you guys are a church. Like isn't God for the church? And he just reminded me that no, 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 no. Our our God is good. That our God is for us and not against us. That our God has good gifts for us. Jesus even tells us that. But listen to me. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God is really good and that he is for you? Do you believe that? Yes. Amen? Because some of you, you might be in this season where it's hard to believe that. Well, we're kind of like Job. You ever read the book of Job? Job never, ever, ever questions if God is in control or not. He's got God's sovereignty nailed down. But what you (coughs) find happening is the more, the more and the more he suffers, the more and the more he goes, God, are are you really good? You're really good. God is so good. He is for you and he loves you. And here's what James is doing here. Like James already pointed out, the root of your sin is not disobedience. The root of your sin is desire. See what James is doing here? James is going, listen, listen, listen. Do you realize that our God is so much greater than the other stuff you desire? Do you realize that our God is so good and the things he has for you are so good and that for you to desire these other sinful things is for you to settle? Um, One one old time preacher wrote this. He says, the the only way to break the hold of a beautiful object on the soul is to show it a more beautiful object. Object. The key to killing your sin is not to try harder. The key to your sin is seeing and savoring that God is a greater treasure than anything else in your life. That's the key. Like, maybe that software on your computer, you need it to keep you from that temptation. But listen, there's other ways. And, and I think it's 1 Corinthians, um, Paul says, flee from sin. Like, yeah, we should flee from sin. But, but James is going, but but here's the deal. You know what you need more than anything? You need to see and savor that God is a greater treasure than this other stuff you're settling for. You need to see and savor that God is amazing, that God is incredible, that there's nothing better than God. He, he's awesome. I don't want pornography. I need God. I don't want to be right and my wife wrong. I got God. I don't want this, 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 or that. I don't want to be super rich and, you know, pour 60, 70 hours into work because that's what it takes. I don't, I don't want this ambition. I, I want God. God is just better. Do you believe that? Is that, listen, is that true in your heart? Is that true in your heart? Do you, do you love Jesus Christ with everything you have? Yeah. Because that's the key. He says every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. In James, it's like he's saving the best for last in verse 18, where he tells us the greatest gift there is of all, and it's yours. Of his own will, he, that is God, brought us forth by the word of truth. Now, this this word, the word of truth, he's speaking of the gospel. And and do you notice what he says? He says, of his own will, he brought us forth. He made us born again. By whose will? Your will or God's will? So did you pull yourself up by your bootstraps and just, yeah, I'm going to make Jesus my savior because, man, I'm going to make the right decision. Or did God pull you up by whatever's left on you? And draw you into the gospel. Who is it? Did God draw you in or did you draw yourself in? God. That's amazing. That's amazing. You did nothing for this. God. He chose you. He pulled you up. He saved you. It's like it's 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 we get all bent out of shape when it comes to election and predestination. And did God choose us or did we choose him? And James is going, God, 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 who's God, which is the most beautiful thing. This is the best illustration I can think of when it was uh, almost four years ago to the day, almost to the day next week. It will be to the day my wife and I got a phone call and they said, there's a boy. And he's in the hospital and he needs a home. He's got some issues. He's probably going to be in the hospital for a little bit longer. So just warning, he's, he's, got, some, he's got some struggles. He's drug affected. There's, we don't know what that means for his future. So he, he very well could be a mess. And frankly, we're all messes, whether we're drug affected at birth or not. And they say to me, do you want him? You bet we want him. And the moment he came to our doorstep, the moment we brought him through. he's our child. He's our son. And one day my boy's going to get a little bit older and he's going to start asking questions. You know what I'm going to tell him? I'm going to say, listen, listen here, son. Um, You didn't choose us. We chose you. And God's saying, that's what I did for you. I chose you. I chose you what Christ did for you. This is the gospel, friends. This is how you, this is the only way to kill sin. Through the good news of the gospel. You can't kill your own sin. You can't fight your own sin. You can't make yourself right. You can't climb that ladder up into heaven. It doesn't exist. It's only through the good news of the gospel the gospel that you and I are more flawed and more sinful than we could ever imagine and yet at the very same moment you are more loved and accepted in Christ Jesus through his death and resurrection. And we read in 2 Corinthians this picture of the gospel that, that certainly James is speaking of. For our sake He, God, made Him, that's Jesus, made Him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. This is the gospel. The gospel is that when you trust in Christ, He gets your sin... You get his righteousness. That's a screaming deal, friend. Did, did you hear that? He gets every single sin you've ever committed, you get his righteousness. And James is saying listen, the key to killing sin is to grabbing hold, to see and to savor. The treasure of God to see and savor the good news of the gospel that has saved you and will continue to save you. Have you grabbed a hold of that? See, there's two people, two kinds of people in here. There are those of you you've never trusted in Christ as your savior. You, you've never made that decision for yourself. Grab a hold of it today, friends, and you're saved. That's awesome. Like That's it. Like you're saved just like that. So there's those of you, and I would beg and plead of you to listen to the Holy Spirit and to listen to God. Because I, I, God's probably drawn your heart right now going, believe, believe, believe. I, I beg of you to believe. And then there's some others of you here. You've believed in the gospel, but you're not taking hold of the gospel. The gospel is merely your ticket to heaven. And see, that's what broke, broke my heart about the gentleman's funeral I did. I think that he saw the gospel in that way. I prayed a prayer. I've got my ticket to heaven. Now I can live any way I want. And the way that he lived killed him. And there are some of you here. You've trusted in Christ as your Savior. Yeah, I know Jesus. I believe in Jesus. But you are filled with anxiety. You are filled with With despair, you are filled with fear, and you are filled with other desires that are leading you towards sin. Would you please grab a hold of the gospel this morning and remind yourself that Christ died for you. Remind yourself of your identity That you you are the righteousness of God through Christ. Would you see and savor who you are in Christ? Because when you do, you're not going to desire any of those sins. So where are you at? Where are you at? Do you need to grab a hold of the gospel this morning? Do you need to see and savor it? Maybe some of you, you never made that decision for Christ today. Let today be the day. Let Him forgive you of all of those sins that are killing you. Let Him forgive you and walk in the freedom of the grace that you have in Him. Would you just bow your head with me? And I, I just, the worship team's going to come up, and I want to take a moment to sit in silence and for you to respond to whatever the Holy Spirit was trying to speak to you this morning. Would you just listen and try to to hear from the Spirit?